Hi there and thanks for joining us. Well, we're still in lockdown, but there is a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. And on this episode, we're going to look at the food sector and what that industry needs to do right now to make sure that its customers and its staff are kept safe. We hear from one company that is actually doing very well during this crisis as more and more people want to taste their product. And coronavirus, could it end up being a roadblock for women getting to more senior roles in business. I'm Jonathan Healy and this is Red Business. The Red Business Podcast with Jonathan Healy and McCarthy Insurance Group. Putting business in Cork first. MIG.ie So now is the time that a lot of companies are looking at reopening and that's a really difficult decision for them. What do they need to change? What new practices do they have to bring in? Most of that surrounds hygiene and keeping people safe. Well, my next guest has been in that particular business involving food for the last number of years. Mary Daly, Managing Director of the Food Safety Company. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Jonathan. Uh, You have obviously been working like everybody else from home for the last little while, but I'm presuming there has been an uptick in interest now that we have at least a timeline of when people might be able to reopen their businesses. Yes, absolutely. Um, We're getting lots of calls from people seeking our advice on layout, staff and hygiene, um, social distancing, zoning in kitchens, etc. People are getting ready to reopen. So what's the most important thing you need to do right now? If yours is a food business, um, what what's step one? Well, I think step one, first of all, is customer safety. And th- there will be uh, a new way of dining out. And it won't be like... Uh, it was, say, in February or early March, uh, the number of diners within the restaurant will be reduced to facilitate social distancing. And when customers enter a premises, there will be a hygiene station, sanitization of some nature for their hands, and they will be led to their table. So customers won't be walking around casually like they were doing. So Uh, I think it's all about protecting the customer and, of course, on the other hand, trying to make some money and to keep afloat. And that's, I think, the objective for the next six months, as I I see it. The the real challenge, of course, is that a lot of restaurants will say, well, if I've only got a third or a half of my tables open to facilitate social distancing, I'm not going to be able to make enough money to keep it going. So uh, it's it's a real difficult situation that restaurants and cafes find themselves in. Absolutely. And I'm involved in a task force looking at all of this in Cork. And, you know, we have to think, I mean, OK, if you're, say you were had a cafe with 50 seats and you're now down to 30, well, therefore, a percentage of your business is gone already. But you, we you may need to make it up. And our suggestion is to look at uh, click and collect. In other words, um, a delivery or takeaway business. And also, hopefully, uh, public bodies like the City Council and the County Council will make open areas and public spaces available to restaurants. And th- yes. I mean, the real 
success here, if you're trying to find any kind of success, has been the speed at which a lot of businesses have adapted. And let's talk about restaurants. Have some businesses been better at that type of adaption than others? They have. And, you know, it's obviously changing the mindset. One of my clients said to me, you know, who had a fabulous casual Italian restaurant, and he said, I'm going down the road now, Mary. I have two businesses within my my, within my premises, I have a takeaway business, and I have, and I will have fine dining. You know, the casual element will go, and people will make reservations. They will come together as a small party, be led to their table, etc. And he's making up the shortfall with a takeaway business, and also he has negotiated some extra space outside for outside dining. So I think we have to be, you know, inventful uh, to try and make up the loss. Uh, you, you mentioned the fact that uh, you're going to have to protect the, the, the customers. Staff will need to be protected as well. I mean, do you envisage a scenario whereby the waiters and waitresses, for example, would have to have face masks? The front of house people would be protecting themselves as well as protecting everybody else. First of all, uh, st- staff safety is paramount and uh, the staff will be trained on uh, medical fitness. All staff will be trained. Uh, temperatures will be taken twice a day, you know, at the start of shift and the end of shift. And what they're doing at the moment, say, for example, in City West, as you know, City West is a hotel and now a hospital that all staff members are completing medical questionnaires on a weekly basis, as well as temperatures being taken. Uh, They will also be issued with protective uh, clothing, including masks. And the purpose of a mask is to protect the guest, not the staff member. So that's all part of protecting the guest. I know it's uh, it's new, but I was actually in the city this morning on business and I saw several people wearing masks just walking around. Mm. Yeah, and, and uh, to be fair, I think that that's probably going to be an increasingly common occurrence as, as we move uh, into the next phase of this. There's been a lot of talk, Mary, that, that some restaurants simply won't survive this. And and, and again, it was, an, it was a, an industry where margins were always very tight anyway. I mean, do you see a lot of restaurants not reopening on the back of this? Or do you think everyone's going to at least try and give it a go? Well, of course, you hope everybody will try and give it a go. You are right. The smaller... Uh, cafes, corner coffee shops, etc. They have been working on tight margins. Uh, We're hoping that the government might give them some sort of loan, uh, interest-free loan. This is what's actually happening in Germany and other European countries, uh, that uh, a loan facility is available, maybe interest-free over three years or whatever. And I do know that there are people, particularly the local enterprise office, preparing a paper to bring to government in order that the smaller 
the smaller operator will survive. We saw some pretty weird looking photographs from Amsterdam, I think it was, of, of people eating in a little glass house uh, outside uh, on a riverfront. Uh, I'm not sure if we'll get to the little glass house side, but uh, do, you, do you think that kind of creativity can be channeled and, and we can maybe, if there is a street that's closed off, puts, ha- have the equivalent of the long table, but have it every night uh, and just maybe reinvent things a little bit more in a creative way that previously wouldn't have been countenanced. Absolutely. And I believe there's a city in Lithuania and they have in, uh, introduced a one way system. Early morning deliveries. All right. Uh, you know, for traffic within the city centre. But after that, it's free of traffic to facilitate outdoor seating. And I believe Paris has marked 22 kilometres of street space to convert it into dining space. Yeah, Paris of Cork would facilitate that too. So when we're looking at all of this, Mary, I mean, are you are you glass half full or glass half empty? It's a very safe glass, obviously. But uh, are you more optimistic than you would have been even four or five weeks ago? I, by nature, I'm a, a glass half full person. Uh, being realistic, it's going to be very tough on some. Jonathan, you know, it is going to be tough. Um, I don't see people making a lot of money uh, or very, very little money, perhaps, for the next six months. But it's about surviving, keeping your name out there, keeping your staff. There's lots of businesses, you know, they've, they're you know, not alone have they a very good product, but they have a great team and keeping them together for better days, which hopefully will be in early 21. OK, Mary, how can people find out more about the food safety company if they're in that position where they're looking to reopen and they're looking for a bit of support? How can they find you? Look up uh, the food safety company.ie and uh, we're available and also by phone 021 4355. 917. That's 4355917. And we're available to help you and give you advice. Okay. Mary Daly, Managing Director of the Food Safety Company. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome, Jonathan. Very welcome. Thank you. Bye bye. The Red Business Podcast with Jonathan Healy and McCarthy Insurance Group. Putting business in Cork first. MIG.ie. One area that has seen growth as opposed to a contraction is the grocery market and it's a universal really across everybody and every business that is supplying supermarkets that they've seen a bit of a bump but of course the better quality you have the more likely you are to see that bump and our next business is on that list De Royste Foods uh, from Ballyvorney set up uh, a couple of years ago uh, for a very interesting reason which we'll get to in a minute but Cahal Allen of De Royste Foods is on the line now uh, Cahal how are you? I'm good, Jonathan. Thanks, Millen, for having me. Uh, so, how uh, how's life in Ballyvorney during lockdown? Life is busy, unusual times, but very busy. Thanks be to God. And look, what has it been like for the last couple of weeks for you? Uh, like like everyone else, we're trying to adapt it. Um, it's been probably one of our busiest times that we've had. Uh, we lost our hotel and cafe trade overnight, so and the retail then kind of pushed it back up. So we're delighted to be to be busy and to be out working tell us a little bit about the foodstuffs i mean i'm very familiar with your pudding uh but there's 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 more to you than the pudding is there there is uh so we started our business in march 2012 we had the start with our black and white pudding but since then you've kind of have to grow and you kind of have to adapt to the market as well so we've uh we've sashes on board now and we do our own rashers as well okay so kind now- of the whole line 
Is is there any truth in the rumour that Jimmy, your dad, set the business up so that you wouldn't all leave the country? <laughs> there is a small bit of truth to that, all right. But uh, see, he's a plumber by trade, so he started the business during the recession when his plumbing business kind of took a bit of a dive. So he, that's what he tells people in there to try and keep us in the country. But he lost one of our sons to, to Sweden, so I can't be working too well for him. No, no, no. As I said, he's got some, some measure of success. Uh, look, I mean, what, what was your plan, Carl? I mean, what was it always to end up in a family business, never mind a food production business? Jeez, <sighs> not really, to be honest. Uh, like, I, I did two years of arts inside in UCC. I had a great time there, but <laughs> arts wasn't for me. Uh, so I came out, like, we've been working with families since since I was 14 and 15 with a shop in Balvernie as well so it's been kind of the norm for me really we've been working with family all our lives so it was kind of a natural progression then after that How did it start in, in 2012? Obviously you were producing for yourselves for your own shop but you know that wasn't going to be enough of a business to sustain you you needed to sell it elsewhere so how, how and when did you make the jump? Exactly yeah uh, so it was my father and my brother started it they uh, two of them kind of came in together Declan my brother was butchering with my uncle in the shop and in fairness he got a great reaction all the meat did so we'd, it was kind of natural progression from then there uh, they started the business with help from Udoros and, and all the, the rest um, but we started selling into our local stores in Balvernie first of all and then we started to branch out into Super Values in McCroom uh, Clannacilty actually was probably one of our first ones as well and it kind of grew from there. So like once we had one store, you'd always be hungry enough to go and get another one. And it kind of built from there. Look, the Food Academy in, in, in Super Value is a great way to kind of get your stuff listed and into supermarkets. Uh, you did, because I, I know I tasted it. I'm not sure if it was you I met, but you did the round of standing in the Super Value on a Friday or a Saturday, giving away little bits of pudding in the hope that people would buy your product. I mean, it, it was it was a hard slog at the start, I'm presuming, when people were becoming familiar with the brand. Oh, it's a hard, it was a hard slog at the start, but it still is. Like, we're still doing that. We're still, well, obviously not this month now, but uh, up until up until the pandemic, we were out-tasting, we're out-tasting every weekend. So, like, that's all part and parcel of it, really. Like, you need people to taste the product to believe in it. You need to get out and tell your story. So, it was um, it was the best way for us to do it. Uh, like, we were up and down the country between here and Donegal. It was a different place every weekend. So, it's a hard slog, but it's worth it in the finish. Ah, you loved every bit of it, don't deny it. Uh, and, you're, and you're taking a break because of the pandemic, says you. Yeah, um, this is great. Get a breather. What has the reaction been like to the product, though? Because the one thing you'll say about pudding um, and sausages and rashers is there's no shortage of competition. They all come from pigs, but they all have their own little branding. Exactly, yeah. Well, like, what we say is the market is pretty big enough for everyone. Uh, like, we're kind of unique in the way that we're probably one of very few companies in Ireland licensed to use the real blood. And we've a big, we put a big emphasis on supporting cork suppliers as well. So, like, we get our oats from Select Ireland here in Balavorny. We our pork and our bacon, Tim League, everything is Irish and everything is fresh that we use. Okay. So, like, now, everyone has their own story, and it's hmm. kind of how you put it together. Then, is there? Now, you see, and again, you have to bring me down a very dark passageway here. You say you use the real blood. That must only be in the black pudding, though, is it? Yeah, that's in the black pudding. So what we do is uh, we collect that fresh every Monday morning. Uh, and stainless steel turns and, and has and to be refrigerated. Cla- uh, to clarify, it's pig's blood now, not any other kind of blood. No, fresh pig's blood. Yeah, fresh right. pig's blood. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and when you tell people that at the tastings, do they do they kind of look at you sideways? 
Uh, some of the younger people do all right, but uh, we we find that a lot of the older generation kind of appreciate it because that's how it was made before, and we're kind of sticking to tradition as well. So you get a couple of a couple of weird looks, sorry, but once you explain the situation to them, they're kind of happy enough to that you're supporting Irish farmers and Irish pigs and. I should have eaten it at that stage anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah. <laughs> Carl, when, when you're looking to the future now, because um, one of the big milestones you've actually just reached is that you're now going to be stocked in all of the Aldi stores across the island of Ireland with another product uh, which is labelled Ballyvorney, but comes from the same good source uh, as De Roche to Foods. I mean, this is a significant jump for you guys uh, and presumably sets you on a very solid footing. Um, oh. at, 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 at what isn't a great time for a lot of Irish businesses no definitely yeah um, like we started our relationship with Aldi back in 2018 uh, we started the first ever grow program with them um, like they've been very good it's like as you said it's kind of we, we were kind of venturing into the unknown we've very limited space in where we are um, so like we got a two week listing in 2018 we sold within the week there it was I think 4,000 units went in so we sold within the week. Uh, they kind of trialed us again at Christmas time. We sold again. Um, so like it was, with dealing with Aldi, they kind of gave it to us in baby steps. And then we came back in 2018 then, and we got the full year's listing. Um, so like it's been a massive, massive boost for us. Like our production is going four days a week, where it was only going maybe two and a half, three. Uh, we've nine people employed at the moment, and we're looking at further expansion now because of the because of the sashes going to the flavor sashes going to Aldi now as well. Okay, and, and that, that's the other thing. What what kind of flavors have you got in the sausage? It's not you've got traditional and what else? Yeah, so we've uh, we've two new flavors for the barbecue. So like we've uh, tomato and herb and uh, herb and garlic as well. So like these two recipes were made by my late uncle Sean in the butcher shop. Uh, so it's his recipe, only we're kind of ma- tweaking it slightly, just making the sashes bigger, perfect for the barbecue for the summer. And is it is it a busman's holiday for you then if somebody produces the plate of sausages for your tea, or do you still enjoy them? I would still enjoy them. Like <laughs> this week now, we're actually just getting samples and stuff ready for Aldi. So it's been sashes for breakfast, lunch, and dinner the last couple of days. <laughs> I'd say we'll be taking take a break there now shortly, but I know there's like once the product's good, you'll never get sick of it. But. Well, as I said, uh, in my house anyway, all I know is the white pudding is always uh, well received and sausages, uh, my middle child eats nothing but sausages. So uh, we, we'll have to make sure he samples all those new flavours uh, as good, well. Good, we'll start to order ice. <laughs> uh, look, they're in Aldi, Super Value, anywhere else you can find them, I suppose. Uh, Main Street, Ballyvorney would be uh, would be at one location anyway, is it? Yeah, exactly. So we're in all uh, kind of small independent stores, so Cork, Kerry, uh, parts of Watford as well, but... Uh, our puddings in every soup value in the country our sashes uh, rashers are in soup value and we'll have our pudding and flavour sashes in Aldi at the end of this month as well well Carl Allen all you've done is made me hungry uh, Carl yeah. Allen of De Royster <laughs> Foods in Ballyvordy Gormila Magath August Slán Gormila Cheers on The Red Business Podcast with Jonathan Healy and McCarthy Insurance Group putting business in Cork first MIG.ie It's been a very unusual time at third level institutions because they've had to do exams online I know the Leaving Cert is a different matter but college exams went ahead uh, and we had to try and look forward to what next term is going to look like at the same time so there's been a lot of balls being juggled in the air but 
focus hasn't been lost on the reason why they were doing it in the first place. Professor Anthony MacDonald is the head of the Department of Management and Marketing at the Cork University Business School. Anthony, how are you? I'm very good, Jonathan. How are you? I'm good. It's been weird, I'd imagine, for you as uh, as somebody working in the academic sphere. You couldn't get to see your students. You knew they were sitting exams, but they weren't sitting them in front of you like they normally would. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know it's been obviously a very strange and difficult time for everyone. Um, like obviously everything is relative, and what your comparison point is. So I guess you know again, hats off to all of the great people on the on the front line that are trying to keep us as safe as possible. Um, like clearly, yeah, for our students and for my colleagues, uh, teaching and finishing up their program of study or the academic year has been very difficult. And may, maybe on one level, we we're fortunate that it, you know, I guess we, we we got most of the semester done, so we ha- we had a lot of content covered. Obviously, the last few weeks we went fully online with our teaching and learning, and a lot of the exams that that had to happen went online. Obviously, there was a lot of continuous assessment, which would be submitted online anyway, particularly in the business schools. So, um, you know, I must say, like, so far, um, students have been very adaptable. Staff have been very adaptable. I think there has been a, you know, a kind of a, a bigger picture focus that, you know, it's 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 no it's of nobody's choosing and ultimately you're just trying to adapt mm. and make do as best as possible and you know it's, it's tough times i mean coronavirus has changed an awful lot of things anthony but the real trick now is not to waste or lose the progress that has been made in getting women to senior roles across society and across all businesses yeah like i, I think it's just it's something to be cautious of like it's like anything it depends on what what perspective you want to look there is there is potential positives i think as well to look at but i guess if from the potential concerns is that i guess we see that it might have a, a disproportionate negative impact on females because they tend to ultimately have a higher proportion of part-time work and also they're more likely to be in precarious work um and they also earn less than men so that like ultimately this means that their jobs may be more susceptible to being lost um also i guess within within households where now you've got where you've got dual earners and got real difficult family circumstances in terms of who cares for the, the children because of those circumstances that could ultimately mean that um females take the, the the bigger burden on that so i think you know that that's where the ultimate i suppose concern is um i guess on a potential positive side though is that it may be opening the eyes of um senior organizational leaders as well that you know first of all is that there are ways and means of actually operating flexible working arrangements notwithstanding the challenge of, of the childcare, and also maybe for all of us maybe is that we're we're seeing how much work that there actually is in mm. childcare arrangements and at home you know i mean the, the real challenge here is that progress is being made and there was research from the 30 percent club that that showed that the measures being taken to promote gender diversity and inclusion, well, they were finally paying dividends and lo and behold, another crisis throws up in the middle. Uh, What do companies need to do right now to make sure that they don't accidentally do things that may damage that, uh, that progress? Yeah, like I think it's very much keeping, keeping in line with some of the positive progress that has been going on and I think 30% Club have been a, a really great organisation in highlighting some of the positive work and, and pushing that so as you said we're seeing we've been seeing greater proportions of women rise up through the management levels although it's potentially slow still at the, the most senior levels I think you know some of the key aspects around that is ultimately changing of organisation and cultures to make not only having flexible working arrangements um, an option but actually 
having a culture that actually supports the take-up of them because we, we often see that organisations technically having them on offer but the culture doesn't necessarily support it so like i i'm I'm hopeful that perhaps the this current situation might actually almost be a push to organizations to really genuinely see that there is possibilities to work from remotely and work at home and ultimately it's it's the forms of flexibility i think that are that are really important to to maintain to, to, to continue with this. If, if you look at what's happening in other sectors, so, you know, they're, they're using this as an opportunity to redesign streetscapes to make sure that, you know, there's now seating outside restaurants as opposed to all being inside where you can't socially distance. You know, now, now is the time to perhaps seize that opportunity as well. We've all experienced what it's like to work from home. We've all experienced what it's like to juggle families. There are learnings there that definitely could translate into a generational shift, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, as I said, one of the, one of the key points here is it, it's probably, you know, we, we've all been part of these calls, I'm sure, at this stage where there's either shouting and roaring in the background from the children or they or they join the call for the meeting. Um, and, and and on one level, I think that that's a real positive and healthy thing because it, it shows, I guess, the, the competing priorities that people are actually currently performing, both paid and unpaid um, type situations. So, like, I think some organisations are are being quite positive in terms of considering what expectations they feasibly can have from work and flexible working hours and so forth. So I think in terms of future progress, there there is that need for consideration about it's less about the need to be present perhaps at set times, but it's actually more about what aspects of the of of the job and work need to get done, and actually you know trusting your employees to get those done at times and um, that are appropriate maybe to their situations and affording that flexibility. Uh, we, we need to reference the fact that you've got two scholarships uh, in conjunction with the 30% club as well. Um, tell us a little bit about who can apply for those and, and what you hope to achieve with those. Yeah, so like this is the... Um, this, the second or third year we've worked with the 30% club and I think they've been working with a lot of the, the universities across the island and internationally indeed and basically we we want to support their ambition of um, you know improving gender balance across all levels in, in leading Irish organizations and business so basically yeah, we've offered we're offering these two new full scholarships in our masters of human resource management and our masters of project management both of these programs are uh, part-time and we also have a full-time option on the on the hr and um, program they're they're block thought so to try and give again flexibility to people um they're open to all basically um all females that wish to apply ultimately those that have leadership um potential um there's a, a short application that they need to to, to complete as well as ultimately being accepted onto the program so that, like, that's the, an important piece of, of applying and being accepted onto the program and then there's an additional uh, short application um, that where all the details are on, on the Cubs UCC website um, we also have actually our a third one coming on board as well in the context of our MBA which um, is just open now for applications um, but that program actually doesn't start until January of 21 anyway Okay so it's all up on the UCC Cubs website Website. If you Google UCC Cubs, you, you, you'll find all the detail there. Anthony, look, we wish you the very best of luck. Here, here's hoping that uh, you'll be back on campus when all those new scholars come in at some stage later in the year. But for now, Professor Anthony MacDonald from the Department of Management and Marketing at Cubs UCC, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jonathan. My thanks to all of my guests, as always. Don't forget, you can download every episode from redextra.ie. Myra Hayesgoff was the producer, and we will catch you on the next one.